Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 294 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron. Completely thrilled you're here with me today as we are talking to Eliza Nellums who was yet another person that I just want to put in my pocket and keep with me forever. So um, that's kind of sounded creepy. Sorry about that, Eliza. Uh, But we talk about adding ticking time clocks and stealing details out of the world and putting them into our work and perhaps avoiding some of the birds that we want to write about all the time. Um, I know you're going to enjoy this conversation with her. She was charming and so smart. So that is coming up. Um, What is happening around here? Well, I am still happily revising my memoir and it's going great. I'm loving it. I'm firmly into the revision. Um, I have had to put it on hold for a few days this, uh, this week because I've been writing my next Patreon essay, which will come out at the end of the month, which is probably now as you're listening. And I've been really enjoying writing that too. I'm writing about uh, the difficulty of finding friends as an adult and the difficulty of finding friends during a pandemic after you have moved halfway across the world. And I'm also writing about sailing and I'm kind of weaving those two things together. And I have just been having a great deal of fun with crafting this essay. And I gotta say, I love that I get to play like this on the page, that I get to do this deep thinking. And also I love that I am putting these kind of essays in the bank for future books, future collections. This is for the book that I am right now calling The New New Zealanders, and it may then title may change, but it's the book that I've been writing about making this move. And I think this is probably the eighth essay or so in it. And I'm, and I'm happy and I'm overjoyed to be able to write these things. Another big thing that happened this week was 90 days to done classes wrapped up and my heart always breaks when this happens because I just fall in love with all of these people. And I fall in love with the groups as a whole and how they cohere and become their own beautiful thing. And this time I'm actually taking three months off. Usually I take one month off between teaching these courses. This time I'm taking three months off because I just really need to get out in front of these two deadlines, finishing complete and finishing uh, the novel that I'm working on, which I have already hired um, an editor for. So I need to get on it. And that's what's going to be happening in my next 90 days. So I'm very much looking forward to that time, just really, really heads down working on the work, but I already miss the people that I work with, these amazing talented, wonderful, loving, supportive writers. And I just wanted to mention, if you ever want to get into one of those classes, either 90 days to done or 90 day revision, they sell out in a flash. And if you go to the website um, where the classes are, you can sign up on a Google doc to be one of the first people notified next time. If you have already signed up for that Google doc in the past, you always need to sign up again. uh, Because after I send out that initial class is going to open. I delete everything on that, on that document. So if that has been you in the past, come back and put your name back on it. Um, that class, those classes will be starting in July and 
you can sign up for that Google document at uh, rachelheron.com slash 90 days to done or rachelheron.com slash revision. And it is the same form. So I just wanted to put that out there because somebody, um, a couple of people had just asked me about that, about that advanced notice. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out because I haven't for a while for my Patreon subscribers who support me in writing these essays that I love so much and that then become memoirs. Uh, thank you to Layla from class. Thank you, Layla and Robin Myers and Pilar Orti and Jana Deck. Hello, hello. Uh, and Tony Finley. Hi, Tony. And Teresa Singleton. Thank you. Thank you so much. And RL Merrill upped her pledge to the $5 a month level where I become the mini coach and we do those bonus mini episodes based on your questions. And um, RL has a fantastic question that I will try to get to within the next within the next week. I will try to put out a bonus episode. So if anybody's listening who is at that level, please throw all your questions at me. One is coming soon. An episode that is, is coming soon. Probably some questions as well. Mm, I don't think I have anything else to share with you all. I have um, my last official sailing class tonight. Thank you, Jesus, because I just don't like this instructor. I love sailing and I don't like this instructor and I want it to be over. Uh, I will mention that there, they added an extra class in quotation marks to this one. We're going to do the rum race tomorrow night in Wellington Harbor, which is a weekly thing that happens this summer. I think this might be the last one as we're now in fall. And uh, so we're going to be in a race, a sailing race tomorrow night. So that's fun. But because that was extra and added on Tuesday night, I just didn't go to class. And that is so unlike me. Oftentimes, uh, I do everything out of a, of a keenly felt cutting um, sense of obligation. Uh, a lot of times when I am, obviously, when I am leading classes, it is upon me to show up and handle stuff. I don't not go to things. And this one, I was just like, you know what? I could not go tonight. I could faff about the house and lie around and read a book. And I finished Boyfriend Material by Alexis Hall, which was Thank you, Mariah. Uh, amazing. I loved it. And I wasn't sailing and it felt so naughty and inappropriate. And I'm a god dang adult. I paid for this class. And honestly, the teacher is not teaching us new things. And I had emailed him and he said, we're not teaching any new things because he's not that great a teacher. And the class before that, when we were in the classroom portion, we just watched sailboat crashes on YouTube because he had nothing else to teach us. So I feel very confident in this choice. Tonight is our last class class and taking the test. Hope I pass it. Hope I get my certificate. Tomorrow will be the rum race and uh, we'll see how that goes. And I will write about it for the Patreon essay. And um, yeah, that's about it. I'm just looking at uh, my alarm clock, which is going off. I'm going into Rachel says right, right now. So I am going into right with my friends. You are always welcome to come join us on that. I've got that two weeks free. Now you can try Rachel says, right. You can go to rachelheron.com slash Rachel says, right. To sign up for that. If you're interested, my words are coming quickly because I need to go open that. And I wish you very happy and excited and fun writing. Ask yourself, do you like it? Is it fun? Uh, if you don't, can you make something fun happen today in your work and then come tell me about it? 
Hey, would you like to come write with me, with my writing community? At Rachel Says Write, we write together twice a week, every Monday and Wednesday from 5 to 7 Pacific Time, 8 to 10 Eastern Time. We say hi and chat the tiniest little bit, and then together we write. It's truly magical the amount of words we get done together. You want to check it out with a week's free trial to see how it might work for you? Just go to rachelheron.com. Rachel Says Write to join us. And here is Eliza's bio. Raised in the Detroit suburbs, Eliza Dellums now lives with her cat outside Washington, D.C. Her first novel, All That's Bright and Gone, was named an Amazon editor's pick for December and was praised in the Washington Post and Real Simple magazine. Her second novel, The Bone Key, was released in December. She is a member of the Metro Writers, a weekly critique group that meets in DuPont Circle. An amateur botanist and avid gardener, she divides her time between plants, books, and cats. Well, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's exciting to be here. Ah, Could you please tell us your name and your pronouns? My name is Eliza Nellums, and I am she, her pronouns. Um, And I am just so glad that you are here. Um, Another thriller writer to talk to. So your second book just came out. Could you please... This is going to be such a dumb writer thing to say, but is it pronounced bone K or bone key? Yeah. It's just it bone, K. bone K. Yeah. Why do I want, why do I want to screw it up? It and should be key. bone key. And it's even a better pun if it is, but there are right. many other books called the bone key K E Y spelled that way because of the pun, you know, and then you can have like a skeleton on the sand and, and whatever. So we had to distinguish ourselves. And then if I, pronounce it key in audio things like this, then no one will find it on Amazon because they'll be oh, misspelling good. it. So it's all about search. Hey, yes. Search engine optimization. Yes. Someone's searching for it with a Q right now, but it's a C. <laughs> it's just C-A-Y. So congratulations right. to you on Thank your you. second book release. Um, Literally yesterday. Oh my goodness. That's right. It's where I'm a day ahead of you in New Zealand, but um, that was just yesterday. How are you feeling? Um, let's start there. How are you feeling after the release of the second book? Did you get the second uh, I, book blues? I did not. I had an easy time writing the book. I oh, had already started you. a draft before the first book was sold. You know how long everything takes. Yes. So I had, I already had like my claws sunk into this idea at least. Yeah. So it wasn't like I wasn't on a two book contract and then had to suddenly write a second book in six months when That's I had what I had to do. 12 years. Yes, exactly what I had to do. It was, that was not my case. <laughs> I had a one book deal and I had this book already dra- like in some sort of existence drafted scraps, you know? And so I didn't, yeah. when I wrote this book, I didn't know that it would sell at all. So that didn't feel like there was that much pressure because uh, maybe my career was over. Who knows? I still only have a yeah. one book deal. So it's possible <laughs> this is the end of my career. It's been fun. I've been enjoying it. Um, and I gave myself a treat this time and went to Key West, which is where the book is set, uh, to celebrate the release, you know, because I, no one's going to pay me to do that. Uh, it's a tax write off for me, but at least it's I like I celebrated, you know, I gave myself that experience. So my so parents did you- actually are joining. Oh, did you have like a launch party or, or are you going to? Well, tomorrow. Yeah. A bookstore here is hosting a little gathering. I'm sure it'll be very sparsely attended, but I'll be there and I will have a margarita and I'm here in Key West, which is the most amazing place in the world. So uh, I've never be been there. I've always wanted to go. It seems oh, I just love great. a tropical place. Yes. It is a wonderful place. And I had meant to come back when the book was actually, when I knew it was going to be published. 
I wanted to come back and do more finalizing and get more, you know, richness and texture. And then there was this global pandemic. So that didn't happen. And so I wasn't able to return until yeah. now with the finished book. And I'm like showing it the sites that, you know, inspired it. Like you were born here. Here's Are you putting that on your social media? You. I will. Uh, I, I've <laughs> always conflicted. I know, I know I should. I should. It's always like, oh, I don't really want everyone to know I'm not home. Like, you know, oh, that's maybe a good I'll point. post all that when I get back. Like that's here's a absolutely. retrospective of a wonderful trip that I took, you know. Absolutely fine to do. Yes. I think that's, you it's know, hard sa- to safety first. With all that stuff. It's not like I have some massive platform that millions of people avidly, I'm not Kim Kardashian, but I still feel like, eh, I was a 911 dispatcher for too long and and that's, oh, that's just, just yes. don't do it. You know, just it doesn't take, much. it doesn't take millions of people. It takes the one wrong person. Just one wrong so, person. Yeah. Yes. And we both write thrillers. So we're scared of yes. things that go bump I in think the night. all day about ways to kill people and or die. So it is not a restful hobby and it does not lend one's peace of mind and it does not make one a frank and honest user of social media. So the other night uh, we were lying in bed in the middle of the night and there was this horrible crash. Like it was just right. a monstrous crash. And I immediately thought somebody was breaking in and we were all going to die, even though this is New Zealand. Um, firm, my, but not perfectly safe. It's not the exact, not, not perfect. Um, but my wife immediately thought it was exactly what it was, which was the shower holder of things that suction cupped on that had fallen off. That's oh, all it was. Yes. But no, I was harmless you know, and I, <laughs> meaningless <laughs> sound. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into writing. So what is your writing process like? When and where? How does it fit into your, I'm sure, already busy life? All of that. Yes. Like most authors, I have another job. Um, After the second book sold, I cut back to being freelance and part-time. What kind of job is it? If you don't mind sharing? I'm I'm in grants management. I make grants. Um, So that's a fun job. I'm a my whole family are grants writers. So yes, I, yes. I, I know right. how it works. And now yeah. that I'm freelancing, I'm doing grant writing also. Giving away yeah. the money is, is easier as it turns out. That's <laughs> been asking for it. Yeah. Stay on that side. Yeah. I don't know what I was thinking. It's a lot harder to get the money than to give it away. Like, who knew, right? <laughs> capitalism. Um, capitalism <laughs> knew. Uh, but now I do that part-time and I write the rest of the time. And of course, as you know, it's, it's more about the promotion than the actual writing. Um, I tend to, I, my natural time to write is late at night. And I've been really straining against that and trying to write first thing in the morning, because that's mm. the advice that mm-hmm. everybody gives you your freshest first thing in the morning. You see my worried face done. here. Yeah, it's tough. I, I do yeah. think for the workman like parts of a novel that aren't necessarily like it's a fancy anyway we're like okay I need to get them from scene A to scene B and like this is the next thing that needs to happen there's something to be said for sitting down every morning and kind of banging out the progress but it's always a little slower and the inspiration doesn't really flow I'm not sure it doesn't feel great so I, I do try to give myself that late at night time and I was not an everyday writer even though that's the, always the advice until the time where I had deadlines and publishing contracts and really needed to make things happen. I was definitely a weekend and vacation writer. Um, My writer's group has retreats that we go on. We spend Mm. a week in the, in a beach house, not talking. You're not allowed to talk during the day, only writing. So that's where I really finished my first novel. And I don't think I've ever, I've never heard of a writing retreat being that rigid. And I think it's the only way to go. Like I've gone to writing retreats where we don't, we don't write for like, you know, we don't talk for like an hour, but I love the all day thing. And then you talk until dinner. 
Yeah. yeah. Dinner is what breaks the silence. And, and, and two people could choose to talk silently out of the house, but you right. can't talk and disrupt the writing of the house. So it's not, That's it's not you are taking a vow genius. of silence, but there is no, uh, no conversation to be done in the house. People just eat silently until dinner. And then even at dinner, of course, everybody's overflowing with what they wrote, what they worked on, how it's going. So the conversation is very writerly. And then after dinner, we have a writing sprint. So it's really focused. Uh, so wow. I did get a lot done on a trip like that, but uh, now I wouldn't be able to wait for a you know a once a year retreat and still hit any of my publishing deadlines. But I really like it when people say that they are not everyday writers, that they are not you know the typical you know wake up at five in the morning kind of writer because yes. I believe that is actually harmful for a lot of writers to hear if they have limitations in terms of. Um, physical limitations in terms of mental limitations, in terms of financial limitations, and these things just can't yes. work for them, then they're told that they're not a real writer. You're not and doing it good enough. You're not working yeah, hard enough. Yet. You're not doing no. the right thing. Yeah. And well, that's and crap. it's totally different once there's a contract involved and someone right. is paying me. Right. Now, yes, I'm willing to do some of this stuff or whatever. But like most people for a long time, no one was waiting for that book. Nobody was eager to give Nobody's me any money for it. Banging down the door. Yeah. No. So, you know, in some ways I want people to enjoy that time where you're not yeah. on a schedule. No one's impatient for your product and you really can take your time and do it the way that you want to do it and not feel like rushed or pressure or that you've got kind of the industry peering over your shoulder all the time. Um, there's something to be said for that. It's a special time. I love that. Are you more of a pantser or a plotter? I am a meticulous plotter. My group makes fun of me. I have a series of spreadsheets. Uh, I'm, I, I think for thriller and mystery, it's especially useful. Although I've been to mystery conventions where well-known, very successful writers say that they have no idea who the murderer is until they get there or whatever. But for me to be like leaving the right little clues and foreshadowing things and whatever else uh, I have, I have powerful spreadsheets. <laughs> it's, it's color coded. Uh, nice. I, I strongly believe in quarters. I, I write books in yes, quarters. I, work, so. I write in quarters as well. There's, there are four acts. They're actually, they equal three acts, but there are four acts in a book. Right. Yeah. There's four acts and the middle one is a little, it's two shorter ones. Exactly. Of. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I organize my spreadsheet by quarter and making sure that things happen. And it, some people I completely understand like that just kills the joy for them because they're like, how can you write when you know exactly what has to happen? And I totally understand that. I just would say for me personally, when I wasn't trying to use a good outlining technique, you really could notice that the product didn't have any oomph mm -hmm. to it. It was just mm -hmm. too many, you know, conversations in restaurants and it had no, it had literally no skeleton and no shape to it. It was just a sack of, of flesh and organs and it wasn't going to get up and walk. That's for sure. So for uh, me, I, outlining is the way to go. Planning is the way to go. I spend a lot of time before I start writing, imagining different things and they all go on the spreadsheet. So it's a way of tracking notes too. And being like, Oh, this would be the most impactful time for something like that to happen. And yeah. Is it, I, I, I like details. Um, is it, is, are you in Excel? Are you in Google it sheets? Excel. It is no, Excel. Excel. Do you have multiple pages? No, it is one, one single big page. document broken mm -hmm. into like uh, big boxes with each scene. It's sort of a stand in scene, a little description of like what should happen, not in the story, but like protagonist sets out on quest kind of, you know, I don't mm -hmm. use Campbell, mm -hmm. but it's uh, the, the version that I really enjoyed was story engineering. He's that's got my favorite book. Oh, I think I, that's great. Someone Larry Brooks. That to me. Yes, Larry I... Brooks. 
I don't yeah. care for his tone when writing. It's very like, stick with me, kid. You'll go far. I'm like, okay, I kind of, I kind of like want to, yeah, I kind that of think of him as like the uncle in the bar. Like, no, yeah. just let him, let him have his cocktail, you know, uh, you know, and yeah. I kind of enjoy that, but yeah, but uh, that tone. I don't is there. think I was that into him in the beginning, but then he got to the, uh, you know, the, the outline portion and yeah. I was like, oh, okay, I see, I see how this solves a lot of my problems in writing yes. novels and why all my drafts are really flopping. Like I'm really getting this now, Mr. Brooks, you, you're on to something sir so I do respect uh, the product and it made a big difference when I started using it so it makes a huge difference so you have that on there you have the, you have that you have what you I have his the beat. reason you're right for yes. for the beat right and then you yeah. have your how how carefully I, I always want to be more of a plotter which is why I ask these questions um how carefully do you break down the book are you going scene by scene chapter by chapter it is scene by scene. Um, and I have a length problem. I don't know. I, does, this doesn't seem to be as common. My books are always too short. So I'm always trying to get them a little longer. Yeah. So, and, and part of it is just the ideas that I get for novels are generally too sparse. Like I just, you know, they're not multi-family sagas with lots of stories. Like this idea was like a woman stays in a house during a hurricane. Like, okay, you've got one character, one setting, uh, one plot. Like, so we're going to have to do a lot more here. Let's go to the spreadsheet on this one. Let's, let's, let's add some columns here. So this is my fault. I don't have, I don't have good subplots. I don't have, you know, B, I, I'm always like, you don't have a B story. You need a B story. What is your, you know, you don't always need a B story later. Yeah. I don't think you always need them, but you yeah. need something. So need Larry little, Brooks. Yeah. I forget if he says 46 scenes or 42 scenes. If I was a better spreadsheeter, I would know, but I just go by the templates. Um, but you need at least that many scenes before you can start writing, Eliza, or else your book will be too short again. And I don't want any more of these novellas from you. Nobody wants to buy a novella, Eliza. <laughs> Got to be novel length. That's literally the only definition of a book. <laughs> length is the length. But I, I do think that everyone is either an overwriter or an underwriter in terms yeah. of that. And I always say that I think you know what you are. I am an overwriter. Yeah. I can like put them in the car to go to, I shouldn't put them in the car in the first place. They should just be they at the diner, but they should the just diner. get to the diner. Yeah. But I forget that. And they've been in the car now for 3000 words and what the hell happened? Nothing has happened. So I don't, I don't, I think, don't know which is better. I think there's like, advantages and disadvantages. It's straight hair and curly hair, right? We all look at right. each other. Like right. I want your beautiful Everyone curly hair. I yes. had to, yes. you know, use a hot iron to put this kind of thing in there, but yeah. I, I, I want to be... slick this down so that it wouldn't be too much today. Otherwise we'd be, <laughs> we'd be out here more. What else is on this spreadsheet? Um, it's the length you... of each scene because I'm always yeah. like, can we push yeah. these scenes a little longer? Um, so as I'm drafting, I fill those out, but literally yeah. uh, one column is the goal length of this scene based on what you've described that. as it says like, okay, she, gets home to her family building and discovers it's on fire and runs in to rescue her one manuscript or whatever. I mean, this is made it up. Shouldn't it shouldn't be has to come back out. 120 words. 300 right. words, <laughs> go back. <laughs> and you know what I always forget is like emotional reaction. That's what I'm usually dropping on accidents. So, Cause like, she's just very focused. She's got to run in the house, get the manuscript, run back out. She's got a lot to do. So then the text in the first draft will be like, character ran into the house. Like okay, we're gonna, we're gonna need some feelings. We can't just have her run right in. Like that's a pass yeah. later. That's in revision. Yeah, that's that, a pass too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And still, I think that is easier to fix if the structure of your book yes. works. 
100%. It's not that hard to go back and layer in more emotions or yep. more reactions or, you know, in dialogue when someone says something surprising. Did the other person react to that or did the patter continue in just a witty beat? Because Even though they just words? found out that they that wasn't their father. Right. right. They just gosh darn it. She said, <laughs> come on. That's, exactly. Yeah. So the goal word count, because then it has to equal at least 80,000 at the end. Like, I think if I could get to, I mean, I'll take 70, but 80 would be nice. 90 would be great. You know, so the outline shows a way to get to to 80. Oh, I love that. And then in the next column is how many words that scene actually was. So I can immediately see we're not, we're not on goal. We're not hitting it. That's so great though. (laughs) It is working. I think my books have each been able to get a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this one, I think the most recent one I just finished, the final draft was like 68,000 words, which doesn't sound great, but like, okay, but that's like book that's within spitting distance of a book. <laughs> we can, <laughs> we can fix that. I think my first one, I finished it at 50,000 words. And I was like, I can't think of a single other thing that could possibly happen. So that's a, that's a problem. You are making so many underwriters who are listening to this happy though, to know I that we can flesh yeah. that I- out. I think it would be harder to cut. I don't know because I rarely have to, but I assume it's very difficult to look at your own book and realize oh, like, you've to got cut. too much stuff here and I can just I, cut it. I, I love the feeling. I love it. It's this, not difficult the, the for mach- you. No, no. The mach- I think it was in the beginning, but not anymore. Machete of fire. Get it out. Yeah. I mean, wave it around. It's all, it's all gone. I'll start it. Certainly I'll start when it book. works. You can feel it getting snappier and faster. And every time you cut, you can see the exactly. weight like, lift off of it. You know? but, I, but I will say as a chronic overwriter, and not a great planner. I tend to have to. (laughs) No, we're absolutely friends. And that's why. Um, (laughs) But, but what it does mean is that I do a lot more rewriting in my books, you know? So that's why I always want to plot a little bit more and doing a lot of that. And I rewrite too. I do. But I think it's sometimes easier to rewrite a scene than to to fix it, you know, because I get wedded to the way it is and I get stuck in it. And so it's a lot better to start a new document, go back to the spreadsheet. Remember the scene is she finds the whatever in the fire or whatever, and just rewrite it. Start again. Remembering what went wrong last time. I do rewrite a fair amount. Oh, I love that. What is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? (sighs) I think... I have to say the middle, which is unfortunate, (laughs) especially in a mystery. And this is why I'm so wedded to the Brooks method or whatever. You have to have things that you're holding back that you're building up to. And you need to already know what those are. And sometimes it can feel like you're just kind of dragging it out. Like you, if you're a planner, especially you already know who the murderer is. So you're doing some red herrings or some sleight of hands or throwing suspicion off or whatever, but it can feel like you're just wasting time, you know, like, And the middle is where the length is missing most of the time. When I say it comes out at 50,000 words, it's because I set up the story in about 20,000 words. They set out on the journey. I usually have like a fun ending in mind before I start. And if I'm not careful, they just kind of like have like one (laughs) investigative moment. And then you you end up sort of on the home stretch. And it's like, oh, no, we're going to need to add some doubling back there. Yeah. This is what a B story would be great. I don't have one, but it'd be great if there was one, maybe a romantic subplot. I don't have that either, unfortunately, but like something to drag this out. The outline is great for that because his point is like the middle should have a huge reversal. What's your huge reversal, Eliza? Do you not have a huge reversal? 
if not, maybe go back to the outline a little more and think about that. Like, don't just, you know, it can't be woman stays in house in the storm, woman survives storm. Like, no, we're going to need, we're going to need a middle part. It's about the main character becoming proactive, but like, we're going to need some things that happen there. <laughs> that make her think about that. Oh my gosh. I love yeah. the way that you talk about this. Um, uh, what is your biggest challenge? What's your biggest joy when it comes to writing? I think I have literary holdovers where I like specific like sentences. I think yeah. it's it's taken me a long time to learn to think at a scene level. And when you're writing books and especially mysteries or genres, like that's what you need to be doing. Your building blocks should be scenes and what mm-hmm. is revealed in a scene, which is great unless you're me, in which case what you've got is a fragment of dialogue <laughs> that you overheard and just loved <laughs> or or a description yeah. of a bird because, you know, I just love birds. So it's like, if you're not care, like, that's what I love. I love to just be able to go about my day and see something and think of like a really fun way to describe it or like a snappy little bit of banter or something like that that's at the sentence level and I love those and I used to build scenes around those and I think I've really gotten away from that and it's all to the best I think it's not good to have but I have to have them have a conversation in the restaurant because I really want to describe the clinking of these coffee cups you know no just no I have to say that when I get really, really attached to my total darlings, the the most beautiful lines that I've ever written, and I know they're the most beautiful lines, those are always the ones that my editor editor just cuts without any heart, just, just gone. And she's right. Because like, as a reader, I would slow down and I'll go, Oh my God, that's a gorgeous sentence. You know, that's not what we want to do. We want to get to the next. Can you end the chapter on it? Can it be the final line? I don't, (laughs) I don't always think that you have to murder your darling. Sometimes I I think the things I've liked the most, the little detail that I've liked have also been things that other people have liked. Now, maybe that is just the egoness of an author being like, no, no, it was perfect. (laughs) I mean, I don't read my good reason. Yes. I do think when you hit on something that is great and perfect for the character, it may belong. Maybe it doesn't belong where it is. I think it's extra hard in mystery where your reader is really not looking for flowery description. And no, they're looking for the clues, which I am bad at dropping for crime solving. They're looking for drama. They're looking for intensity. I tend to shy away from intensity. I, I don't, you know, I don't read intense dramas as much as I like a, like a cozy or gentler mystery or, you know, one with really twisty clues. I like that more than I like personal drama or like even danger and intrigue. And so I have yeah. to always steer myself back away from that description and into that car chase or whatever. I just Me don't think too. the reader is coming to you for, if the, the, a literary author, I think has a better chance to do that. I think with mystery, you might only get one or two of those in the whole book. So make yeah. sure they're good. Yeah. I always accidentally write a, like a, a, a soft emotional women's fiction novel. And then I have to make it into a thriller and that's hard. It's hard. Yeah. And I think that's hard. And I'm also like, if I like gentler things, are there readers who like gentler things or no, I, maybe they're not. Could I just write those, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Is there, are there other people like me who enjoy these or no, I guess we all need, we need murder on screen and, you know, we have to put this intensity back in there. It also probably is a little more exciting to the author than it comes across to the reader. It's probably half a notch, even more sedate than you think it is. That's probably true. Yeah. Because it's so it's living in our heads. Hmm. Yes. We're in it. So to us, this is high drama, but probably it's not coming across because their, their kids are screaming in the background, you know, they were looking for a car chase (laughs) (laughs) to get them out of the kids screaming. Do not describe that bird. (laughs) No. 
She doesn't even see the bird. Um, speaking of, of tips like that, can you share a craft tip with any, with, of any sort with us? <sighs> yeah. I mean, the outlining is always the one I point to, but I realize some people just don't ever want to outline. I have found great success. And I think this is not a tip no one's ever heard before, but I've literally gone back and added ticking clocks to books and found that it makes a big difference. And my first the, editor was, go ahead. Oh, oh I was going to say for the listener who doesn't know what the ticking clock refers to in a book, tell us about that. Cause it can work in things that aren't mystery and thriller as well. Yes. Every, I think almost every book should have some sense that there is yeah. a, a reason why things must happen now. And, you know, my very first editor of my first book that was published was like, why is this happening now? And I was like, there is a reason, isn't there? <laughs> Did I just pick a regular day on a regular street to tell this story? Like, and so we had to work on that. But yeah. a great ticking clock is one that is like natural to the premise of the book, you know, in publishing where high concept books, I think are a little easier to sell. High concept, meaning something that you can sort of describe in a sentence or two. Versus, you know, it's a book about a woman who goes on this sort of a journey, but not really. I mean, it's partly about her sister's death, but also she's got this other mysterious Irishman <laughs> or whatever, you know, like versus in not that I think my book is super high concept, but a woman who stays in a hurricane is one sentence. You know, I think if you can have a concept that has a naturally implied ticking clock, now you're really making your, your job a lot easier versus if you're trying to add the ticking clock. So like, it can work for anything. If you have a divorce story and it's about the breakup of a marriage and maybe it's a slow pondering one, just have there be some deadline for why they either have to be divorced or married at a certain point because this other consequence is coming in. Um, something that's literally running out is great. A hurricane is great because it's natural. The hurricane's advancing and mm -hmm. it's going to hit, you know, so I didn't have to do it in this book because that's, that's the reason I ran with this idea. I was like, you know oh, what's great that. about that? Yeah. Whatever happens, it will naturally have a ticking clock, even if I'm screwing around with bird stuff or whatever. Um, and I found a big difference when I started trying to think of them that way. It just adds intensity. It gives the reader a, a natural buy-in. And I have fixed previous books that really weren't working by being like, here's your specific issue. You don't have a reason why it really matters that they do this by this date. And, and I, you don't make it explicit in the book what will happen if they miss that deadline. Um, and I, I think it's helped a lot for me. This is, it's wonderful. And you're blowing listeners' minds. And I don't think any guest has actually ever said this one oh, before. Good. So I couldn't read the entire archive job. of tips. No, <laughs> yes, strangely I, not. I did not invent the ticking clock. I think it might be in Save the Cat, God help us. It's, it's out there. Yeah, but it's, it, it's, it's out there. You know, you never know which advice to take. Oh, that's so good. I am currently plotting out a book in which um, she has six months to live. So I'm like, yes, Perfect. it's great. <laughs> I don't have to worry about that. That's there's yes. that six months or whatever. I haven't decided on the time frame, but maybe. Six right. Months, and maybe it can be months. subtle. Sometimes it's just a birthday that's coming up and yeah. the character, yeah. you know, if they didn't do something by their ex birthday, you can come up, just add that plot line in after mm -hmm. the rest of your book. And it will, I find help tighten it up. And it can it. be the, the important city council meeting. It doesn't have to be fascinating, right. but, right. but it can be so helpful. Yes. As yes. to why this is happening now. I think you said that really, really well. What thing in your life affects your writing in a surprising way? I have noticed that the animals in my life have shown up throughout all of my books, which is kind of strange. I so I tell me more. 
I was fostering cats. I'm a big cat fosterer. And suddenly these cats kept showing up in the book in all these different ways. Not always literal cats, but like this, this caretaking thing that is like, it doesn't really love you back, but it requires a lot of care and also is very lovable, even though it's not necessarily reciprocal. These were like feral kittens. So they weren't necessarily (laughs) interested in becoming your friend, but like something that's very needy and difficult and a lot of work. And just recently I adopted a rescue dog because my life isn't difficult and I needed more challenge. So I've got this dog now and I'm suddenly obsessed with like training and how, like, like how to influence something that can't understand you. Um, My previous draft is all about birds. I've mentioned birds a bunch of times. I've been reflecting on that because I I took a bird watching here in the Chesapeake Mm. where I live not where I am now. I'm currently in the Florida Keys, but in the Chesapeake, I've been doing more bird watching with bird watching groups. And so birds as imagery, birds as augury, bird yeah. personalities, different bird stuff. So I don't know if every writer does that, but I'm, I think I'm very influenced by that kind of thing. I tend to see them as signs or uh, yeah. symbols somehow and they show up. Have you read um, How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell? Ooh, no. I'm you should grab it on you my should, list right now. I'm writing it one, down. One hundred percent, grab it. It's how to do nothing, and it really is kind of a philosophical treatise on on capitalism and the idea of doing nothing. But she right. gets to it via discovering bird watching, and it's absolutely gorgeous. You you will love it. That does sound. Good. I think I think you'll love. I'm it. a terrible bird watcher for the audience. I am. I'm I only am good too. at the big birds. At least yeah. you're in New Zealand. I bet they've got some cool like, kiwis and stuff down they, there. Well, like the eastern rosella, which is just like a little tiny parrot that flies through my yard sometimes, but it's mm-hmm. a parrot that's wearing a leopard cape. Basically, it's. Great, the cutest great. thing together. Yeah, and there's this caca that is a large, a larger parrot that flies around and the two. Yeah. The, the birds are good. We're not going to go there because I could go there for a long time. Thank you. That You're so good at this. You're very good at this. <laughs> what is the best book that you have read recently? And why did you love it? It comes back to this point that I was afraid that you were going to when you said, have you read? I was like, oh, no, don't use my book. So I just finished H's for Hawk and multiple people uh, had recommended it to me. Uh, it is the author's name is Peterson, Helen Peterson. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. Helen McDonald. Helen, Helen McDonald. Yeah. Yes. Um, and people had suggested it. And I just shied away from it because I knew she was talking about grief and loss yeah. as part of her book. And that's part of her meditation. And I just wasn't in the mood to read something sad. And I kept saying that like, Oh, I do. I do really like hawks and owls and vultures and, and raptors, but like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to read a sad personal book, but I finally got to the point where I was ready to read something that was maybe not happy go lucky because the pandemic was starting to look up for a minute mm-hmm. and I am just loving it. I love, mm-hmm. it doesn't have a lot of intensity. There's not a huge ticking clock. So the opposite of everything I've said, please ignore me. I find it so soothing. I love her. I love the way she thinks. I love her mind. And I am just enjoying this book. And I really needed to get through it because she has a new one. So now I'm two books behind. She's got Vesper Flights that also is not recent. I'm always behind on my reading. But um, I'm like, well, you now this lady has a second book also about birds that you're also going to love. So please read the first one that came out five years ago or whatever. And people have been recommending it to you this entire time. And all the people were right. And I'm loving it. I'll, I will say that I, I love her writing. I love the way her mind thinks, but it is rather, um, it doesn't have the ticking clock and I have been able to like read it for 
a while and then I'll put it down and then I'll forget it's on my Kindle. And then I will remember it's on my Kindle and I can pick it right back up. And so I am not done with it, it, but I do love it. And I don't even think it's like a true story arc, really. It's yeah. just, a, it's more like a series. It could be a series of essays. It's not, yeah. it's a book, but you know, yeah. it doesn't necessarily drive forward. Yeah. See, I but love it's, this it's stuff. It's so good. It yeah. was a successful book. So at least somewhat hard. Hugely stuff, successful. You know. Yes. Absolutely. Even though there's not, no car chases, no nothing. Yeah. I mean, it's a different audience than mystery for sure, but I still love it. And I have always loved gentle books like that, you know, yeah. any Dillard, any oh, kind of nature, God. women thinking about nature and animals and birds and being outdoors. I'm, I'm right May, that. May Sarton is one of my, 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 my go-tos for her journals. Cause she journals a lot about the outdoors and especially about flowers. And right. Yeah. Just lie yeah, in bed I, and read that. That's what I want. I feel a little guilty about it because a friend who knows your podcast was like, she's going to ask you what you read and you're not going to be able to answer because you don't read a lot of mysteries. And I was like, Oh God, don't don't tell them that. No, it's this show's not about mysteries or thrillers. The show is about books. I know, but the, everybody says, read what you write. You should always be reading the latest and greatest. And I do, I do also read mysteries, but like when I'm looking to, for what I would read for pleasure, it's something much more soothing and outdoorsy and gentle. And, and, and my friend was like, you can't tell them that you write thrillers. I am there an are omnivore. Some thrillers out there. Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I'm very omnivoric. It's just that they stress you out. Like that's what they do. <laughs> exactly. I but I did the, just I put your book. Is. I, I did just put your book on my Kindle in order to be stressed out because I haven't very had a stressful sweet. book in like a month. So it's well, not. you won't be because it's kind of soothing. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably one wonderful. too many word descriptions. Yeah. The new book was described by others as a as a Southern Gothic, which is always Ooh. amazing when your book gets out and other people start diagnosing it for yeah. you and helping you figure out what you were doing, which like I did not think of that book as a Southern Gothic book. But of course it is. It's set in Florida. It's got a beautiful old house. There's like a storm, yeah. a literal storm. Yeah. There's like a haunting, you know, like it 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 is Southern Gothic. It's being sold as a thriller because I don't think anyone's picking up Southern Gothics these days. And it has a thriller plot line that I very carefully put in there to be yeah. sure. But I, th- I think at its heart, it's not a very stressful book. And most of my books, like there's no murders on screen. I can't yeah. torture women or animals or children. Like none of that <laughs> happened. Good. I'm much more in the like Sherlock Holmes vein where like there was a crime yeah. that occurred off screen and now we're going to solve it with a series <laughs> of clues. So, yes, I, I don't know how commercially successful this career is going to be. So you, yes. ha- you have to. Oh, my goodness. Stop. It's going to be wonderful. And it will fly from the shelves, as it were. Oh, so you've sure. told us a little like bit about birds. the Bone K. Now we know it is. Exactly. It is a Southern Gothic. Um, tell us a little bit more about it so people want to run out and buy it. Yes, a little more about it. Well, I was inspired to write it um, because I was following the news of Hurricane Irma. So that was, what, 2017, I think. Um, and in the news, they talked about this massive hurricane. I don't know if you remember, it was the size of like the entire Gulf. Yeah, it was headed straight for Key West and the caretaker of the Ernest Hemingway house announced that they were not evacuating. For realsies. And this is in real life. Yes, this is real wow. life. This is the news. Yeah. And I was obsessed with this. I love weather anyway. I'm always obsessed with weather, but like the idea that they would stay in Ernest Hemingway's home. And of course, this is where I started imagining all this stuff, like because because they just respect his home so much or because like the respect they have for this man. And like what they kept saying was that they couldn't leave the cats, the six toed polydactyl cats. The polydactyl cats. Yeah, Yeah, they're they're like they're not they're they're semi feral cats and like we wouldn't be able to trap them and and take them Mm. with us. So like someone has to stay to caretake the cats, which like remember the storm was as big as the entire 
Key West is nine miles across. You're going to die. Like, yeah. You're going to die. Like literally at that time, the forecast was that the Keys would might be wiped out entirely, completely <sighs> overtopped by the ocean. Ernest Hemingway is not going to save you now. He does yeah. not care, actually. You know, he didn't even <laughs> like that house. That was his ex-wife's house. He spent a lot more time in Idaho. But like, I was obsessed with this story. And so I started to imagine like, what would how, why would someone make that decision? What kind of person would make that decision? What would cause them to stay in this historic house for certain death? Like who loves literature that much, you know? So I'm probably a bit more of a literary concept than a thriller concept. Mm -hmm. But so I wrote this first draft and of course I went to Key West and, and spent time with people and did some of that research while I was there, but that was the original inspiration. And I got to talk to the actual caretakers of the actual Ernest Hemingway house. And I asked them this, and their actual answer has, of course, nothing to do with anything that I wrote. You know, I wrote this character who's like, who has sort of lost everything in her life except her work. And she has rebuilt this house of this dead poet of the 1920s who she adores and who is a, is a female poet, tragic suicide at a young age. So sort of a Emily Dickinson slash Sylvia Plath character, a fictional poet. Yeah. And it's her house. And so this modern day character has lovingly restored it. And that's like all she has in life. And now the storm is coming and she's like not leaving because she's so passionate about this. Like she would rather die in the house than leave I'm it. I'm so on board for this. I'm You're so on board. board. Go on. The actual yes. caretakers of the Ernest Hemingway house said it is a very well built house and we think it is safer than our home. Shut <laughs> up. That's I terrible. I loved it. They're like, you know, Key West is expensive and we don't wake a lot as caretakers of a historic estate. So our apartments are all in like the old fill of the Navy Yard and like they flood all the time. So there's no way we were staying there and it's very expensive to evacuate. So we're not going to do that. You know, at that point, the entire state of Florida was under an evacuation order. Yeah. The whole state. I don't even think that had ever happened before. And they were like, it had survived many other hurricanes, which is true. Ernest they are not himself. dumb. Yeah, they were like, it's built of marble. The walls are very thick. It's on high ground. Like, this is our best bet. I'm sure they also love the cats, and I'm sure they also love Ernest Hemingway, and they're probably going to listen to this podcast and be I like, I love that they told jerk. you the truth. <laughs> we told her that in confidence. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. This at the Ernest Hemingway house is wonderful, and they have lovely cats. Um, but I took the oh. book in a different direction. Also, the hurricane did not wipe out the house. So they were correct. They were perfectly safe. They said they had a very pleasant two weeks or whatever that they spent oh. in the house. You um, could not have said anything to make me want to read a book more, honestly. <laughs> well, I, okay. So great. I'm doing my job. I'm, pay me, Crooked Lane. Pay me more. <laughs> Where can we find you out, out there on the interwebs? Yes, I have a complete platform of all social media, which is just... <laughs> great. It's I've always been my dream to post a lot on social media. So you can find me on Facebook, on that. Instagram. Uh, yeah, I oh, waste I'm so a ton sorry. of time on Twitter. I've gotten to the point where other authors are like, you're on Twitter a lot. <laughs> and like, they don't mean it in a good way. That's a bad sign. That's a bad slide. Yeah. I think in the beginning, I was like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But like Twitter is my favorite one and it's the least valuable one. Like, no, invest that time in another social media platform. I also am doing a book launch party tomorrow from Books and Books Key West, uh, which is a bookstore here. They're going to host a little reception and there's a Zoom um, for a part of that where I will be eating key lime pie on camera. And I'll oh, have it's like right a little, there. It's on yeah, camera. Key lime pie is my favorite pie by far. It's yes, the best. Authentic one here has like a ton of very strong meringue on top of it. This is, you know, a less original, but um, 
So you can join me there and I will do a short, very short reading, extremely short. Although by the time this episode goes out, this will be, oh yes, that's true. But you can probably watch the recording, which will be on my website also. Oh, good. Which is at? Yes. And it is just like it sounds. International platform. Yeah. Yeah. Nellums with two L's. Eliza Nellums, you are 100% delightful. It has been such a treat to talk to you. It has been wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on. It meant a lot to me that I was able to join you. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.